Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today, we have Corey Clark on the show. He is the Director of Operational Excellence at Measure Learning. Measure Learning is the most comprehensive test development and delivery solution for academic, professional, and lifelong learners. Even though Corey's job title is Director of Operational Excellence, what he ends up doing is a lot of audit work. Doesn't really have an audit background, but you can hear the audit themes that we talk about throughout, so it's very much applicable. Other thing of note is prior to being at Measure, Corey was at Regions Bank. He was the Operational Excellence Manager there. And then before that, he was the VP of Innovation and IT Risk Management. Pretty much, if you have innovation in your job title and you're in compliance, risk management, or audit, we're going to want to have you on the show. Some of the things that we hit on is what is the process Corey uses for coaching in the moment? And another way to think about it is how can we audit in real time and provide feedback. We also talk about how he uses data to target audits and how to pull statistically relevant samples. And then lastly, we talk about Agile. Corey's been certified to death in Agile. He's been doing it for a long time and at a pretty high level. And so with any methodology, I'm always interested, what's like the one thing? What's the one or two things that if you could take away from that and implement it, what would they be? Agile's pretty huge. And so with Corey and his experience, I wanted to understand what is the biggest benefit from your perspective with Agile. Here we go. I think one of the more interesting things about the conversations we've had is how you basically audit or coach in the moment. And I know your setup's a little bit different and uh, your role and how you do that. And I don't know really how we could apply that to internal audit, but that's why we have a bunch of people that listen to the show uh that could hopefully take in what you're uh what we're going to speak to and then go oh you know what this is how we could do it and hopefully we get some feedback from that but what is your process for coaching in the moment and why do you need to do that as part of your job function sure yeah it may help to describe a little bit of kind of the organizational setup so we are not a traditional internal audit function essentially my team um we do more of the compliance and oversight so it's a little bit uh, related to what a uh, traditional internal audit function is. Relatively smaller company, so we don't have a dedicated internal audit function. So again, that's kind of why you may hear some hybrid modality here of what we're doing. Um, so from our perspective, so we deliver we, we deliver test centers as well as online proctoring. So online proctoring is probably what I'm going to speak most to because that's kind of what the most relevant. Um, but if you think about what's happening, is so we have our proctors interacting with our test takers. And we need to make sure that we are, you know, being prompt, polite, following procedures, et cetera. And so, you know, an audit would be great um, as a as a quality check on the back end, but really we want to be as proactive as possible. So again, uh, maybe different than some traditional auditing functions, but we're going to watch our uh, individuals do their work. So we actually randomly join their sessions. They don't really know we're there. Um, and we observe them interacting with the test takers. Um, and so the important part is coaching them in the moment because they may deal with 50 or 60 sessions in a particular day. And 
it's really hard to coach someone, hey, two weeks ago you had this session and here's what you did wrong. It's not really relevant to them. And so us catching it and observing in the moment is really important so we can correct the behavior so the next 50 sessions they take that day, they won't make the same mistake. Um, and so again, and when we audit, it's not really a, a reprimanding type of audit. It's a, hey, next time you get this opportunity, here's a ref here's a training document or here's something that can help you out or maybe say it differently next time. And so it's more like a course correction than a formal reprimand. So it's important for us to be able to do that um, to maintain uh, consistent standard quality. We still do audits on the back end. Um, and again, that could be months later, weeks later, but we really like to be as proactive as possible. Yeah, I think the maybe the takeaway is in being proactive in the correction piece of that. And so I don't think a lot of internal audit functions do this now. I think a lot have caught on, but rather than, hey, we're going to do this X amount of month, you know, a month audit, two months audit, whatever, depending on if you're uh, agile or not. And then, hey, at the end, here's everything we found, surprise, as opposed to as we incrementally audit a given control and we find an issue, we make them aware of it then, like that day or once you have confirmed it and, and go, hey, this is the issue we found. We probably have another like six weeks of work. If you want to go ahead and fix that thing before we issue the report, then we can just go ahead and say, yep, we found it, but they fixed it. And the uh, client certainly enjoy that as opposed to the other side of it is, here's a list of everything you did wrong. So yeah, right. Um, so yeah, it's less of a report card um, situation where here's how you performed. It's yeah, it's more of a live look in, if you will, just kind of a pulse check on how are things going. Um, and it, for the part of my team that um, is separate from the auditing function, is we actually have the process improvement and policy writing side, and so that dynamic nature of that is pretty good because we can watch something um, happen today and see a trend and then tomorrow literally almost tomorrow we could send out a new training a change of policy uh, send a communication so it's a it's about the agile nature of um, inspecting and adapting and really mm -hmm. that's kind of the fundamental part of what we're trying to do um yeah to your point again audits are great if you're having to report to a regulatory body um, you may need to show them progress over a certain period of time but if it's really for your internal gain I would, I would argue the sooner the better is yeah. when you want to know about issues. Yeah. How do you want, you, you talked about doing like an actual audit later on. How do you determine given what you said, one proctor might have 60 in a day, 50, 60 in a day times X amount of proctors. How do you target those audits? Sure. Um, so I do have the benefit of having a statistical background. So Lean Six Sigma, it usually gives you some statistical approaches. And so I think it's really important to know how the proper way to maybe statistically sample um and the kind of the how do you actually apply it to your business because um if you've ever heard of uh sampling there, there's absolutely a defined methodology around that um where you set your confidence inter interval your margin of error your same your population um, and there's calculators online that can help you do that um, and so generally what we're doing um, again depending if it rises to the level of requiring a formal audit what we'll do is we'll go to a 95% confidence interval and usually a five or 10% margin of error. If you have any statisticians out there listening to us, they may not agree with that approach because generally if you're in uh, a science field, healthcare related, they're going to go with a, like a 99% yeah. confidence interval and like a 1% or 5% margin of error. But we're not talking life and death here. And so there's just risk tolerances that you may be wanting to apply. So again, it's one of those I can confidently say to our internal stakeholders and external, we've done a statistically relevant sample. Um, and then if they start asking the mechanics behind that, I can explain it. Um, but it's better than just pulling 20 out of a hat and saying go. There's a little bit more scientific um, methodology to it than that. Yeah. 
explain for the folks that are listening and going, because I've had that question of, hey, we want to take more statistically based samples. Um, yeah. I don't get it very often. And uh, as I say that, I've gotten it once. <laughs> when I say I've gotten it. Um, <laughs> but explain confidence interval for those that are interested and in going like, yeah, we should maybe look into that. Confidence interval and margin of error, why you choose 95%, maybe, uh, and, and then 5% on margin of error. I don't know, you say it's not life or death for what you do. And then other scenarios sure. where you might go, 99, you know, et cetera. Yeah, sure. So um, again, I've, I've been trained in this, but obviously uh, double check me or research this if, uh, if you're looking for validation. Um, but so the confidence interval is important. So you're, you're generally assuming that you have a, a standard distribution of data set, meaning if you've ever looked at, if you've ever plotted data, you kind of see the bell curve. So yeah. kind of, you know, there's a little at the beginning, little at the end, and most of it's kind of aggregated in the middle. That's most of of statistics you're assuming that and so the confidence interval is the likelihood that your population or the sample you pulled falls within the 95 percent mm -hmm. uh, of that curve so again there's two and a half percent on either side there's absolutely a chance that you oversampled or undersampled out of that those tails if you will um but that's where the 95 percent confidence interval you're you're 95 percent sure that the population you pulled falls within that distribution right. obviously if you have more of a cyclical or two hump or there's a there's a ton of different um distributions out there that's when you really have to maybe uh, change your uh change the number of your sampling so you're essentially saying i'm 95 percent confident or insert number there that my sample is representative and so that's really what that number is and then margin of error um it's, it's very similar it's actually hard to even describe the difference there um, but it's a similar, similar type of approach where how, how much tolerance might you have for that sample not being represented? So mm -hmm. just think about it in those two natures. It's again, if I could do 50% confidence interval, but again, that's going to, that's one thing that's going to do is lower your sample a ton. So it's going to be a lot less work for everyone, yeah. but you're not going to be as confident that the population or the, the sample you pulled is actually representative. And that's the end of the day, really why you're sampling is there may be a million items, but obviously no one has the time to go do a million. So you want to pull a sample that hopefully is representative of that um, population. Yeah. And I think when I got asked the question, the idea behind it was, hey, we maybe think we oversample. And so traditionally depends on uh, the internal audit department. They might take a sample of 25 or a sample of 60 somewhere, usually in between, unless you're using analytics and you're testing 100%. <laughs> And so I think what they're getting at was like, maybe they were testing 60 and they're like, all right, if we can use stats to decrease the sample, that's great. And I walked them through it and I was like, you're going to end up testing more if you, if you do it this way. But I think it does make sense for certain situations. Uh, and for those that are interested, uh, I'm glad you hit on it like you did. I thought you explained it uh, very well. And there are tons of online calculators, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, that can help you do that for sure. Yeah, you don't have to know the mathematics behind it. You can trust someone else math. Yes. But again, it's kind of important to be kind of generally aware of what those numbers are because, again, if you're you have a million of a population, you want to be you want to make sure your resources are accurately focused. Um, if you had time to do the million, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's likely uh, no one has the time to do the million audits. So yeah. that's what that's why statistics will help. I mean, again, if you're trying to represent this to internal or external stakeholders walking them through that methodology to, to show that it, again, it's not just a guess. It's not, um, you just randomly pulling something out of a hat is usually, uh, worthwhile and defensible. Yeah. 
And there's a, a, another way we look at it, um, at Green Skies anyway, in terms of we want to see what is in that top 5% or bottom 5% because those are the, the outliers. So we run an analytic that identifies that like top 2.5% and bottom 2.5% because we want to go to management and go, did you know this weird thing that's going on up here is happening? And a lot of times we do that during planning. And a lot of times yeah. I go, no, I had you know no idea that we, uh, as a common example, spent 10 times as much on that given product as we had a year ago or, or whatever that is. That is suspicious. We should go check that out. Um, so if nothing else, I always tell people it allows them to ask questions of management that they might not be aware of. Yeah, I think that's an important aspect. So sometimes when people hear statistics, they think, oh, it's all about the mathematic calculations, which is which is the core of it. But what you just mentioned is really visualizing your data, which is really the first step. If you ever pull a big data population, you should just literally put your eyes on it and see, wait a second, what doesn't make sense here? Because that's when you'll see those outliers and anomalies. And again, at minimum, it informs you of kind of where to where to target, but yeah. it absolutely helps you see, wait a second, this is 20 times longer than the next um, process. Why did that happen? Oh, well, there's a button that someone forgot to press. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got a process improvement opportunity on your hands where we need to set some kind of control to make sure the button's pressed on time. So that helps you just kind of jump off the page, if you will. Imagine you just did like a, a scatter plot or a line chart or a bar graph. And that's probably the first place I would start before I started throwing any statistics to to a data problem it's just visualize it and then you'll see some things jump off the page yeah and for those that i feel like might be we we might have lost them as soon as we started you said the word <laughs> stats or someone or they heard a uh, confidence interval and they went peace i'm done with this episode <laughs> um something as basic as like you have it in excel go to insert chart it'll give you recommendations on the different charts you can use just pick you know pick one that goes yeah that seems like it kind of makes sense click the button it'll show it to you uh, so you don't have to be a stats expert or a data visualization expert or even an Excel uh, expert to be able to do some of this high level, what we call planning analytics around uh, any given audit. Corey, I know you're not like an internal auditor, but you've worked with them in the past. What's been your experience with internal audit in general? And so my experience with uh, internal audit, I've never actually been an auditor or really been the um, the, the targeted, even that's a kind of a overt word. Um, but I've, I've been able to participate with business units post audit. And the thing I've seen this most successful, so if you think about kind of the other side here, um, as, an, as an auditor, I imagine, you know, you, you may not be as smart or you shouldn't be as smart about the business or the function as that person you're requesting information for or you're interviewing. Um, and really change management 101 is really what I would prescribe here. It's um, be as collaborative as possible and really kind of, I'm, I'm just here to listen and help you um, versus being the, hey, you need to send me, me send me 10 documents by the end of the day, you know, that you're just going to naturally just make someone maybe take a step back. So the thing I've seen most successful as auditors is really being as collaborative and transparent as possible. Again, agile tenants here of maybe just sitting with the team and just observing them do their work for a little while with, and then asking them why are they doing the things they're doing. This is where I've done this from a process improvement perspective, and it's really important, but even from an audit perspective too, just getting the why. Why are they doing these things? Sometimes it's not because they want to. Sometimes it's just the way it's been. Um, and knowing those kind of context details makes you as an auditor probably more effective and more approachable versus, again, if you were just behind an email um, or behind a meeting. So I would my, my advice, what I've seen do well, is just be, be as human as possible to individuals because we're all here trying to do our best job, right? No one's usually intentionally slacking. And so yeah. I think the way to 
to really work together um, with any business unit or any function. Uh, it's just to be as open, honest, transparent, and collaborative as possible. Well, I know you have a pretty extensive agile background and it's not necessarily in audit, but it, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more around um, process improvement. It's kind of your background also. And so I love getting the non-agile audit perspective of agile. Um, I'll say you're an expert, whether you want to agree with that or not, <laughs> I'm going to call you one. Uh, and, and understand like, what's the one thing from agile that you, if you could only use that that one thing or that one or two things, what would those be? So kind of what's like your 80-20 with Agile in general? Sure. Yeah. From a tool perspective, uh, you may you may have heard like a Kanban board. That's a really important. Uh, I would say that's kind of the, the first thing I would start with. And all that is, is whenever you have more than one individual working on something, it is really tough to stay aligned. What What is that person doing? Where are they at? Where's the progress? When will it be completed? Those kind of things are a lot, of, a lot of waste to become in a part of a process. And so what a Kanban board does, imagine it's either digital or physical, depending if you're co-located or not. It's what is there to be done and what is in progress and what has been done. And it's just a quick visual snapshot. That's probably the most fundamental thing that just will help improve someone's day-to-day -day operations. Um, because essentially, again, the, the waste is what you're trying to, to remove. So the second Trent finishes task one, he doesn't have to come back and have a meeting about what task two should be. He has a backlog he can pull from and start working on it. So it just helps um, keep alignment as much as possible because alignment is one of those fundamental tenets in Agile. It's the moment we depart from our meeting, we're both going in different directions and we have to have uh, synchronization. Essentially, we have to come back together, whether it be every day, every week, every month, to make sure we're back on the same page because Again, two humans driven uh, differently, they'll, they'll end up in different places. So Agile is just a chance to, instead of doing that every nine months, when a project may be starting and ending, you do it more frequently to make sure that you kind of pick your head up and say, are we going the right direction? And right. a Kanban board is a good way to just kind of keep a pulse on what work has been done, has uh, is in progress or to be done. And then imagine you're a manager and your team is doing that. You don't have to ask them for status reports or call them all the time. You just look at the, look yeah. at the board and you can kind of see where you're at. So it just helps uh, that transparency and alignment. Do you use it in your personal life at all? We've attempted to. Uh, <laughs> it is tough to get your it is tough to get your wife uh, on board if she's not agile trained. Um, but in my mind, I have one. Yeah, no. we, just, uh, we just moved, and there's a lot of projects to go on when you move, and so. Um, yeah, you, at the end of the day, you do kind of ruthlessly prioritizing. Uh, there's there's so many things to always be done, but you can only work on you know a finite number. And so, you've probably in your mind, if you're listening to this, you've probably done exactly what I'm talking about. It's just in a mental Kanban board, not in a, a physical or, or digital one. But imagine you had your your spouse or your team who could see that board that is in your head. Like that's essentially all you're trying to do: just really get it on paper, get it out of someone's mind. Um, and that that would really help from an agile perspective. And again, that's just one technique or tool that regardless of what industry you're in or what your discipline is, is probably a beneficial thing to explore. Yeah, that's what we floated the idea around in our house. And I went, we just like, I don't want to have to deal with that on the weekends. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to have our, I don't want to log in to Jira and check what the honeydew list is um, for the weekend. But I do preach that a lot within analytics also is whatever like your passion projects are, whatever your hobbies are learn whatever the tool is that way and so i did a lot of mm -hmm. um like fantasy football whenever i get like a new tool i do fantasy football analytics in that tool to force because it's significantly more entertaining and fun to do that 
Um, and so if there is a, you know, passion project, whatever your hobby may be, you can look up those concepts. We talked about Kanban, et cetera, and apply it there. And then that'll make your, I always tell people, it makes your brain a little bit happier to do it that way as mm -hmm. opposed to, all right, let me apply it to my, you know, job that I may or may not be super excited about <laughs> in that given moment. Um, so I like that. Yeah, the, right. the other interesting point of your, I'll just add on there. Um, all the, in addition to the fun aspects is, which is absolutely what you mentioned, you also kind of know what the output should be. And so you're, you're helping kind of figure out what you know is going to be the output. So you're all, almost able to kind of just gut check yourself and say, you know, I expected this type of output and analysis and did the tool get me there? So that's just another maybe good reason to do something that a you're passionate about, but you know, you, you know, the outcome, I think that'd be an, uh, a good way to challenge those kind of tools. Yeah. And then ruthlessly prioritize. We had another uh, Kanban expert, I would say, um, on the show a while back. And at the end, he sent me a book or a link to a book that was like your personal Kanban board or something like that. And it was about using it kind of in your personal life. And that was the phrase that stuck out to me was ruthlessly prioritize. And it's, I do it every single day now where it almost like it doesn't make sense to me not to like if you're not uh -huh. working on the most important thing within the most important thing then what what do you do you know like so ruthlessly prioritizing is something that has been personally for me and professionally huge to be able to take my entire to-do list this thing is more important than this thing all right move it over uh in the column this thing is more important move it over at the end of the day i've got the one thing if i do nothing else for the rest of the day this is the most important thing a lot of times it's just like sending somebody an email, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have to yeah. be a crazy big project, especially if you break them down. But, uh, I just love that idea of ruthlessly prioritizing, although it, I struggle to say it. Um, but I do yeah. love that idea. And so I hope some other folks can grasp onto that. Yeah. Sorry. And I won't belabor the point, but just, just add on to it a little bit more, you know, humans, we like to think we're great at multitasking and you can do a high focus task and a low focus task. So you can speak on the phone while you're driving. Those yeah. two things truly can be done, in, but you can't write two emails at once. You yeah. can't be in a meeting and engaged in something else. And so to your point, it's really about serializing your tasks. So putting them in a sequential order. Um, and so knowing that, why would you sign up for 20 things at once? Cause you can't do them all. So you might as well rank them in order and serialize them and kind of <laughs> you know scratch it off your list, which as humans, we all enjoy the scribbling or scratching off our list and making us feel accomplished for that day. So, um, yeah. So again, you can try to do a hundred things at once, but you'll probably half-ass all of them. And yeah. so why not just do the one or two and do them really well? Um, the thing I tell my team that it's, it's tough for a non-agile person or someone who hasn't maybe experienced this before, there are things on your list that will never get done. And that's okay because essentially it was an idea or a hope or a dream. But as long as you're prioritizing, if it never makes it to the top, then that's okay. It just never made it to the top. It doesn't mean it was a bad idea or just, it just wasn't as important as the next thing. And so again, there's the, the pain that comes with that because all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you wrote it down. So you had to get it done that you try to decouple that from your mind where yeah. to, tomorrow that, you know, you may go into tomorrow thinking this was your number one and all of a sudden your boss calls you and that goes to the bottom of the list and that's okay. We should all be able to be flexible or try to be as flexible as possible. Um, which again, I'm, I know this has now become a more agile podcast <laughs> or in this, this speech, but it's essentially, that's all agile is about is you never overcommit. I'm going to do work for two weeks and I'm going to stop and I can pivot and do something else. You're, you're never committing to a 10 year or a two year or a one year project. 
because you have no clue what that timeline holds for you. Your market may change, your boss mm-hmm. might change, your company might get acquired. So why even try to plan that far out? You can, you can plan for a couple of weeks, so that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so again, that that's in that vein of ruthless prioritization. It's I need to get this thing done because it's next most important, and then I'll just keep going down my list. Yeah, and you said it was a pain, and this is maybe a mindset thing. It's a pain in your brain to not do that thing that's on the list. And it took a while for me uh, also to figure this out, but it became a relief to go, you know what? That doesn't matter. And just completely remove it off the list. Like anytime you can take anything off the to-do list for whatever reason, <laughs> it's a relief. And so that that kind of took me a while because I would have that thing that was just sitting there like, ah, okay, I put that on there. So that means I have to do it. And then I would look at it you know, eventually and go, well, it's been on there for like four months. I'm not going to do that. Uh, clearly, it's not that important if I keep deprioritizing it right off the list. The majority were audit-related questions, compliance-related questions, and then we had that one Agile question that turned into probably half the show. Uh, so, <laughs> I, so I'll leave it to you where you want to take it, if you want to keep talking Agile or, or whatever it is that you might want to talk about. But uh, as, as we close the show out, what do you want to leave the audience of internal audit professionals with? Yeah, so I've worked with some internal auditors uh, in the past and always a, always a good group of analytical-minded uh, individuals. The Agile, which again, I know we're touching on, and again, not to belabor the point, but there's there's a lot of that principle. Again, you may not have to use the methods or tools, or you may get scared about the rituals is kind of what they're called. Yeah, so this, you know, if you heard the term scrum, stand-up, sprints, all those terms may be new. Just one, don't really worry about the semantics of it. It's really the the mindset that we've talked about so far. Um, another phrase that, that I usually use, uh, it's similar to the ruthless prioritization. It's really pivot without hesitation or guilt. So again, the we can change direction and no one should feel guilty about it and no one should hesitate because we now we know what we know and we need to do do differently. Um, again, that could be different in the internal auto space where maybe you're prescribed much more on what you're working on, but even within that prescription of what you're working on, you know, imagine you were told to look at this whole business unit, but they said this one's out of scope, but all of a sudden you've got something that, that really wanted you to drive that way because there's a risk that introduced itself. Those are the kind of things that you, know, you, you would want to bring up reprioritize and maybe pivot on. So just trying to make it more applicable to the, to the audience who may be trying to hear, um, well, the, the last thing I'll say on that, that kind of goes into this, um, and as a more of a, on the business side rather than the audit side, there's a, the sunk cost fallacy. Some people may have heard that before. Um, the, the idea here is, well, I've already spent two months on this project. So what's another two or three months? And again, being able to pivot is important because that's all sunk costs. You've already spent that time, spent that money. That does not mean it should be equated into your future decision-making. So it's almost one of those, I bought a boat and I have spent $10,000 into it. I might yeah. as well spend another 10. No, sell that boat and buy a different boat. Like it's one of those, just forget about the past really. is kind of what um, the agile mindset will help you do. Again, maybe not be applicable to everyone's day-to-day, but those types of mentality of, um, of really being able to, adjust and focus on value that's really all we're trying to do here everyone's trying to add value in their in their job and their in their function and so you should always focus on that be value first what's going to get my team my company me the most value and let that be the top of your list 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.